Welcome to 15 Minutes on the Way, Season 9, The Remnant. If you're a first-time listener, you really owe it to yourself to start at the beginning. Find Episode 1 of Season 1 at 15minutesontheway.com. Don't spell out 15. Otherwise, brace yourself for a conversation with God's voice telling His side of your story. We often go to great lengths to communicate a simple message to humans. Hang in there, kid. This is what Daniel's angel's message amounts to. Yes, we're back to him. It is also the primary word conveyed by the prophet Haggai, whom we light up in this paused period as the remnant in Jerusalem has let their neighbor's use of bureaucracy shut down the rebuilding of our temple. There has been a changing of the guard back in Babylon. A decade has come and gone, and so have a couple kings. Cyrus no longer rules. Darius does. Haggai is quite the precise fellow and lets us know that in the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of Yahweh came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jozadok, the high priest. We take issue with their letting the opinion of human neighbors determine their course of action chiding them for letting temple rebuilding grind to a halt before it even gets started as they live in paneled houses while mine remains in ruins. Uh, This is not the composite paneling consigned to the basements of your habitat, but rather real wooden planks lining the inner walls. Picture hardwood floors on every surface but the ceiling, very dear in both labor and cost. Uh, Read the details in Haggai 1, 1 through 4. Then Haggai leads them in a little soul and circumstance searching. Think about how things are going for you here. You've sown much, but harvested little. Eaten plenty, but are never filled. Been fully clothed, but still always cold. Wondering why? Well, in stark contrast to the mystery behind Job's losses, Haggai draws a straight line for the remnant from their meager returns to a clear cause. It's because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Haggai 1, 7-11 Just to make sure my people understand the importance of getting back to work, we also light up a partner to Haggai, Zechariah. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, Zechariah 1.1, no more than two months later. Our message through Zechariah parallels Haggai's. Return to me, declares Yahweh Almighty an intensifying double use of Yahweh Sabaoth there in Hebrew. Return to me and I will return to you, says Yahweh Almighty. Do not be like your ancestors, Zechariah 1, 1 through 6. 
Since Haggai has done a fine job in connecting the moral dots for the people, we supply Zechariah instead with several colorful visions designed to convince the remnant of how crucial it is that they fully return to me. This is not simply about me getting my glory on again in the temple, but about the resumption of the Abra plan and my children's role in it. Shout and be glad, daughter Zion, for I am coming and I will live among you, declares Yahweh. Reading Zechariah 1. Zechariah 2, 10 through 11 reads, Shout and be glad, daughter Zion, for I am coming and I will live among you, declares Yahweh. Many nations, many nations always waves the Abraham flag, many nations will be joined with Yahweh in that day and will become my people. I will live among you. The timpani are playing, the entire brass section, everything from piccolos to bonus percussion instruments are joining in the Abraplanic crescendo these words intone, heralding my living alongside humans again as the Abraplan is fully fulfilled and my children of all nations are joined with me. Check out Zephaniah three fourteen through 17 et al. You heard right, Zephaniah. You can find it. This language can sound like it simply refers to my dwelling once more in my temple, and on one level, it may. In fact, go ahead and get your stereo out again and put that in the left channel. In the right channel, however, these words sound a promise of a far less representative fulfillment. They speak of the ultimate goal of our full reunion with humanity. So we pull out all the stops to help Zechariah catch Israel's attention. He's got vision sequences featuring horsemen, horns, a measuring line like Ezekiel's, lampstands, chariots, flying scrolls, you name it. Everything but aliens. It's in one of these visions that the accuser makes his other very brief appearance in Tom. Uh, again, that's the first testament if you're too testamenting. This time, standing symbolically beside the high priest Joshua. Kicking off Zechariah 3, in Zechariah's vision, the accuser is accusing the remnant leader in order to thwart the temple's rebuilding. I rebuke the accuser and claim Joshua as my own, a man rescued from destruction, a burning stick snatched from the fire, after which the accuser drops off the scene unmentioned. Joshua's dirty clothes, symbols of his and the people's sins, are removed. New, fine, clean ones are placed on him, and the guilt of the past is gone, taken away. We only mention this particular vision in some detail because it sheds just a tiny bit more light on the role of the accuser, and this quick encounter in Zechariah adds an important element to things. Lest you think we are allowing the accuser to thwart our people and our purposes unchecked, here is an instance where he is clearly at work to bring a halt to something, something we desire. However strong or important the accuser may think he is, though, with a word from me, he is gone. 
That word eventually came for Job's too, but even more rapidly for Joshua here in Zechariah's vision. The accuser may have had a hand in the delays that initially stalled our temple's reconstruction, but I've essentially just shooed him away. More often than not, his is a game of delaying good rather than outright preventing it. For when our people and our angels speak our word into a given situation and persevere as we so often urge you to do, you prevail. Ezra corroborates Haggai's and Zechariah's entrances into the story in Ezra 5. Ezra doesn't tell you what the prophets say. No need to, since Haggai and Zechariah already have. Just that whatever the prophets said is a motivating catalyst, and that Zerubbabel and Joshua, and the people there leading, set to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. Ezra 5.2 Thus, knowing of my endorsement of their efforts, when resistance again comes, this time from the Persian governor over the whole region, my people do not stop their work. When that governor, Tatanai is his name, writes to Darius, he includes the remnant leader's summary of things as good as any you'll find in Tom, Ezra 5, 11 through 17. Go on, you know you want to read it. Oddly enough, it even includes language acknowledging the causality lesson learned of their ancestors' behavior having brought their own exile upon them. The final point they make to Darius seals the deal. They tell him to check his archives for Cyrus's decree. When Darius does just that, the fastidiousness of all these kings and their arrogance in thinking every last detail of their life is worth recording, that fastidiousness finally bears fruit, confirming the Jews' assertions. Darius not only finds Cyrus's detailed order in the clay archives, he doubles down on them. Since Cyrus's order was clear as day, but had been allowed to be thwarted, Darius tells Tatanai, the meddling governor, to pay out of his portion of the royal coffers any funds required for whatever materials are needed to complete the temple rebuild. Reading, their expenses are to be fully paid out of the royal treasury from the revenues of Trans-Euphrates so that the work will not stop. Then, when it is all finished, he is to supply everything else reading, Whatever is needed, young bulls, rams, male lambs for burnt offerings to the God of heaven, and wheat, salt, wine, and olive oil, as requested by the priests in Jerusalem, must be given them daily without fail, so that they may offer sacrifices pleasing to the God of heaven and pray for the well-being of the king and his sons. Adding a colorful curse, if you're curious, it's Ezra 6, 11. Adding a colorful curse on whoever might try to change the terms of his decree, Darius ends with an actual prayer to us. May God, who has caused his name to dwell there, overthrow any king or people who lifts a hand to change this decree or to destroy this temple in Jerusalem. 
Ezra 6, 1 through 12 contains Darius's entire decree. Definitely a warm and fuzzy moment for us. And so it is that the temple is finally completed, the date dutifully noted by Ezra as falling in Darius's sixth year. Since he had naturally mentioned that previously the work on the house of God in Jerusalem came to a standstill until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Ezra 4.24 So you know the project took four years to complete after winning Darius's green lamp. The temple dedication, essentially a great housewarming party for us, echoes the initial one when Solomon finished our magnificent edifice the first time, 1 Kings 8 or 2 Chronicles 7. Notably absent this time around, however, are any cloudy manifestations of my moving in, as in 1 Kings 8, 10 through 11. On this occasion, however, the sacrifices, though plentiful, amount to a mere 712 animals, in contrast to the thousands under Solomon. There is a similar downsized difference in the temple's actual reconstruction, though the inner sanctum dimensions remain constant. It is not nearly as magnificent as that built by Solomon, the significance of which will figure in a later discussion. Ezra is careful to note that, topping off the nicely rounded symbolic 700 sacrifices are... Twelve male goats, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. Ezra 6, 17. Lest anyone think this is just a reboot of the tribe of Judah, though much smaller in number than before Babylon and Assyria swept through, the remnant that restores worship to us in Jerusalem and then celebrates Passover together there for the first time in nearly a century possesses the full tribal heritage, legacy, and covenant of all the descendants of Jacob. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to support what we do, give us a review on iTunes or Facebook, then share this podcast with your friends. Use the link to the very first episode from our website, 15minutesontheway.com. We hope today's episode has reminded you that you, friend, are part of an epic story that is still unfolding today. So keep walking on the way. And until next time, be good to yourself.